Good morning. Good to see everybody. Thank you, Jeannie, for that. And uh, my name is Del, if you don't know me, one of the pastors here at the church. And we're, we are, as Jeannie said, um, on, in, a, in a series right now on personal Bible study. So if you uh, just think back over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about the importance of reading the Word of God, just opening it up and getting into it and learning God's perspective because He speaks through it um, to us. We've talked about meditation, which is just the idea of zeroing in on one piece of it and reflecting and churning on it from different directions. Um, We've talked about uh, learning to understand that the Scripture was written to certain audiences, and so uh, as we read it and and trying to figure out what it means, uh, keeping in mind the uh, perspective of those it was written to as a way of orienting our understanding. Um, We've talked about asking questions of the text. So Dan gave us a great acronym called SPACE PETS. You guys remember that? Um, That is an acronym for questions that we can ask um, of the scripture. And for a couple of minutes this morning before Dan comes to preach, um, I want to invite Deborah, my wife, up with me. We're going to sit and talk for a minute um, about the role of imagination. Okay. The role. Okay, I'm covering the antenna. Okay. The role of imagination um, in scripture. So, you know, God gave us both our intellect, our reason. Um, but in the, same, in the same token, he also gave us the ability to imagine and to use uh, the imaginative part of our brain. And so, anyways, good morning. Hi, Deb. Hi. Um, uh, so, you know, Deborah um, has taught me a lot when it comes to this whole idea of, of, of imagination. And I just wanted to ask you, like, when's the, when was the first time that you really started to realize that your God-given gift for imagination uh, was important in your relationship with him? Yeah, I don't know that I realized all of what was happening, but um, when I was growing up, I, I, my home life was a very, oftentimes a very scary um, place. But I remember I hadn't started reading the Bible at all yet. I was little, and um, I had, but I had begun to hear about him, and I had heard that he was kind and strong and loving and that he was um, he was good and so um, when I would go to bed at night I started um, I had a double bed and I started pretending that I was holding Jesus' hand so I could go to sleep holding his hand and and it gave me peace. And so that was probably the very beginning of um, engaging my imagination with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, I'm, I'm just thinking um, about the way he did ministry. But a lot of times he would sort of activate people's imaginations because when he talked about truth or what God was like, he would often not just give them propositions, like concepts. He would give them stories, or he would give them symbols. Um, he would say that, uh, you know, I'm thinking right now of, like, the I am statements when Jesus would say, would say, like, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, or I am the door. I mean, all those are pictures, right? Um, sometimes he would say, my kingdom is like, you know, something. So... Talk to us a little bit about how that idea of using imagination um, has informed the way that you read the Bible. Um, 
that's, I think that the only way that I can do that is probably just to, to go into a, um, to go into a passage. Uh, so, so I think, um, say again, how do you engage, say it again? Yeah, I was just wondering how imagination is used, how you use imagination okay. as you read the Bible. gotcha. So whenever I first started reading the Bible, it seemed like there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot. And it, and it was a lot of words, and it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and then I started, um, well, I, I started really asking for help to see, to see what there was to see there, um, because I clearly was missing something. Uh, and so gradually some things started awakening in me, but, but I, think of, um, I think of the passage where Jesus comes into Samaria because he has to, sorry, I got these braces the other day, and, these, and I'm having the hardest time talking, um, but I can manage. Um, uh, when he came into Samaria, it says that the Samaritan woman came, and and Jesus told told her, "Give me a drink." And and she's saying to him, "You know, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. Jews don't have things in common with with Samaritans." And Jesus says to her, "If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is asking you." give me a drink. Who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she says, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it with his sons and his flocks? And Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. So you see, the woman is thinking about water. Jesus is talking about life, like life, life. And so I started, I started realizing in all these ways that Jesus interacted with people that that's, that's why I wasn't understanding. I was reading it, the scriptures, as if it was just words. Jesus is light. Jesus is bread. Jesus gives living water. But there's two ways of seeing. There's two ways of knowing. There's two ways of living. Uh, and so the eyes of my soul, the eyes of my heart, started seeing um, and interacting with Jesus in these ways where he's not just talking about physical stuff. Um, he's talking about 
the stuff that, that I'm longing for. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that, that when we read the scripture, we're, we need to use our reason, you know, like we need to use our understanding like of concepts and words and stuff like that. But we're also, we're also partnering with God to use our imagination, to put ourselves inside of the story somehow, to begin to, to uh, bring it close by engaging these stories in a different way. So, so, like, so like, talk a little bit more about how we do that as we read the scripture. Like, how do we begin to read the scripture, like you're saying, um, using the eyes of our imagination? I mean, I don't know how you would, <laughs> but I, I, I have to, I have to kind of quiet myself and just become present um, when I'm in the scriptures and slow down. Uh, and you know, um, in Isaiah, it says, "You will keep in perfect peace." those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And that actually, that mind there, he will keep in perfect peace, he whose mind is steadfast, that's actually imagination. That's, um, you will keep in perfect peace those whose imaginations hold fast. Um, And then the following verse, God talks about himself as a rock. And so I think that probably making it practical for what I do is I, I stop thinking about just passing over that God rock. And I think about um, what is the function of a rock? What does it mean that God is rock? And I, and I close my eyes and I imagine Myself holding on to it, or like so, if something's happening, and the 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 current is just like sweeping me up in it, I'm picturing myself holding on to this rock, and that's God, Um, and He is keeping me, and He's not moving. Uh, So I think just entering, entering into it, not just reading it like it's just a, just a word. So, um, you know, one of the things when I was when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, why is this so important? Is because you know, reason has a certain function to engage our mind, Um, but imagination, as you're talking about it, like when you actually start to enter the story, has the ability to sort of engage us at a different different level. Maybe we would even say our emotions or our heart, Um, and. You know, when, when we begin to enter stories, like, so this would be more of the practice. Like, we've been trying to bring all these things down to practices. But um, have you ever taken time when you're reading a biblical account to actually, you yourself, to enter the story? Like, what would it actually be like to be one of the faces in the crowd, like, watching that? Or to be one of the disciples, you know, as Jesus is doing one of his miracles, you know, observing that? Or being one of the, the characters, actually, in the story when Jesus, like the woman at the well, encounters 
this person, to actually imagine what it would be like to be that person. Um, and then to bring, like you were just talking about your senses, like to bring your senses into the Bible reading. So what would it actually, what did it smell like? What did it sound like? What would it, what would it feel like to be touched, actually, by Jesus when he bent over to heal or to, you know, whatever? Um, what would it feel like? Um, what would you see? So as, as, you begin to, as you begin to activate this part to really enter the story, um, what becomes sort of like a, a concept actually can come close and become personal. So that would be the practice this week is to, as you're reading the Gospels, or as you're reading your Bible reading, um, to not just look at it as an intellectual under, uh, exercise to understand words on a page, but actually a story to be lived. Um, like that. <laughs> so, so, um, so let me. Psalm let's, 25 let's, is great. Yeah, just take a minute. Uh, that must be the prophetic text for this week, Psalm 25. Um, so let, let me pray over us, um, and then we'll just continue on with our, with our service. So, Lord, we want to be, we want to be fully engaged um, with you in our reading of the scripture, Lord. We believe that you're alive and present and active. Um, we believe that these are more, more than concepts um, and simply truths to be believed, we believe there's a story to be lived. And so, Lord, help us to engage not only our reason, but also our imagination to begin to learn with you how to enter your words of life in the Bible um, in ways that help us to really encounter you. Um, Help us with practices that would um, change the the way that we read the Bible um, and really change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our Bible study together that we're doing here is not the most important Bible study. The most important Bible study is your Bible study when your Bible is open and you're prayerfully looking at God's word for yourself. And that's what our whole month of March has been about, right? That we're just saying, Lord, how do we do that? I mean, the Bible's a big book. There's a lot of complexities here. How do we open it up and mine out all those riches and treasures that are designed for us? How do we read this and understand it? Uh, where do we read it? Where do we start? And, and I hope that these last few weeks have been not just sort of inspirational in that regard, but also kind of empowering, like you actually know what to do and where to begin. Uh, today, we're going to review the concepts that we've studied so far, and then we're going to land it with a little bit of a challenge about how valuable the Bible is to us. All right, so um, God's mouth is closed when the Bible is closed, all right? And then if we open the Bible, what happens? God's mouth is open to us, right? If you want to hear from God, you have to have the Bible open. It's the primary way God gives us his word. Sometimes he speaks to us through circumstances or through prayer, uh, but but God specifically has said if we want to hear from him, we have to uh, find it here in his word. And so uh, for all of us who are interested in what God has to say and how God would direct our lives, we need to have an open Bible and an open heart. All right, so just to kind of help warm us up to that and to get us ready then for our final challenge in the series, I want to take just a couple minutes and pray through what we've already learned. All right, so that that doesn't, so that what we already learned doesn't just kind of pass into history as, yeah, I was there that day, but we're actually sort of applying this to our lives as we go and asking God to help us apply it to our lives going forward. All right, so we're going to look at each of, the, each of the five challenges that we're offering here in this series and just say a few words of prayer about them together. All right, so here's the first one. 
um, the, back in week one of this, we just made the simple challenge to start reading. Because ultimately, if the Bible's going to mean anything to you, it has to be open, you have to be reading it. Or listening to it, I guess. It, it has to be, you have to be in taking it into your life. And so we might pray together, Lord, give me this daily desire to hear your voice and, and that that would compel me to open the Bible. All right, so right now, let's pray that to the Lord. You just silently in your own heart, uh, rather than hearing me pray about it, I would love for you to pray about it to the Lord. Uh, that you would say, Lord, here's the Bible in my hands. Like, I want to open this and have this mean something to me. So let's pray. The second challenge we offered was that we would take time to meditate on your word, Lord. That we wouldn't just read it once and be content with that, but that we'd repeat it, that we would chew on it, that we would think about every aspect of it so that we could hear all that you want to say to us through it. Help us to be faithful in meditating on your word. The third challenge was that we would be students of the Bible, that we would ask questions when we're reading. Ask every question we can about what you meant when you inspired these things to be written. And so, Lord, help us to be explorers in the Bible, to be curious, and to be humble as we try to learn and then apply to our lives the things that we surface out of our study. Holy Spirit, last week we talked about how we need to ask you for wisdom so that we're not just getting our own best understanding of the Bible, we're really getting your meaning, your, your, your understanding of the Bible, and, and how it fits together in the big picture, how everything in your word is there for a reason, and it all teaches us something. The whole narrative, the whole storyline is on purpose, and so, Lord, we want to learn everything we can about that, but we need your wisdom to guide us so that we can understand your heart in this amazing love letter you've written to us. And then today, as we complete our series, we want to look for a few minutes, Lord, about at the value of what your word is to us, how we treat it, how we revere it, why it means so much, and that these Bibles we're holding in our hands actually cost something. So Lord, would you give us your perspective on the value of the Bible today, that we would see it not just as a book, not just as something important in history, but as your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, turn in the scripture with me to Psalm 119. We've looked at a few passages here already in this particular chapter. It's a long one, and we're going to look at the very end today of Psalm 119, Here's a person who loved the Bible, they loved the law of God, they were digging in, and, and as you read this, one thing to remember is that the writer only had the first segment of the Bible to work with. And so as he's like looking up to heaven going, I love this, I can't wait to learn more, he's talking about Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I mean, he, we have so much more than that. Like we have the New Testament, we have the stories of Jesus, we have the letters of Paul. So we've got all, all the more reason to be excited about what we're reading. But here, just that very beginning section of the Bible was so inspiring uh, and so let's read together what this psalmist wrote here, starting in verse 161 of Psalm 119. 
Powerful people harass me without cause, but my heart trembles only at your word. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. I hate and abhor all falsehood, but I love your instructions. I will praise you seven times a day because all your regulations are just. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I long for your rescue, Lord, so I have obeyed your commands. I have obeyed your laws, for I love them very much. Yes, I obey your commandments and laws because you know everything that I do. Oh, Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind that you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commands are light. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. O Lord, I have longed for your rescue, and your commands are my delight. Let me live, so I will praise you. And may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. There's so much there, right? There's so much encouragement that that the Bible can become for us sort of this guide, this help, this source of wisdom, this connection to understand what God would say to us. And I'd like to zero in on verse 162 for just a minute. All right, verse 162 says, I will rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. So for the rest of the service, I'd love for you to have a Bible in your hand. If you don't have one, there's one in the seat bottom in front of you or nearby, or maybe you have one on your phone and you could open up to that app just so that you're looking at your copy of the Bible that's there in your hand to recognize this is a treasure This is an amazing privilege that you get to hold God's word so close to you in a language that you can understand and read. Like this is for you. And there's this great treasure. Remember in in week one we talked about how an unopened Bible is like gold, never mind. I mean, there it is. It's in the ground. You know it's there. And all you'd have to do is dig it out, but you have to open it up. And so here you have all of this gold, all of this treasure ready to go. And yet, how much do you value this? I'd like to show you a quick video of a tribe in Indonesia that received their copy of the New Testament for the first time just a few years ago. So up until this time, there had been believers in the village, uh, in that people group, in that language group, but the Bible had not been translated into their heart language, so the only way they could hear God's word would be sort of through someone else. And finally, the translation of the New Testament was done, and the Bible arrives. All right, I'd love for you to watch this. So we rejoice in God's word like one rejoices in a great treasure. When I think about what it took for this English Bible to end up in my hands, even though the stories are from long ago, uh, there was just as much sacrifice involved. Um, Just to help understand how much value has been poured into the Bible and what it took to get the copy of the Bible you're holding in your hands right now to you, I wanted to show you just a little bit of how the Bible was passed through the generations. All right, so it started in the in the early church time period when the first Christians were under severe persecution. 
And maybe you've read about this. Uh, Up until 313 AD, uh, the Roman Empire was very much set against the uh, growing Christian faith, and people were slaughtered in merciless ways. There were 10 uh, really significant moments of persecution in the church, and the 10th was under the emperor Diocletian in 303 AD, and it was, it was the most severe, at least it's reported as such, uh, because there really was an attempt at that time to not only wipe away Christians, but to destroy every copy of the Bible that they could find. And, uh, and so here's just a couple reports from that era. Um, in February of 303, at a certain day, the government had decided to begin eradicating Christians. And they began in a city called Nicomedia. Um, a great number of officers and assistants went to the Church of the Christians, where, having forced open the doors, seized all the sacred books and committed them to the flames. Many houses were set on fire and whole Christian families perished in their flames. And others had stones fastened about their necks and being tied together were driven into the sea. Persecution became in general across all the Roman provinces, more particularly in the east, and it lasted for ten years. It is impossible to ascertain the number of those martyrs or enumerate the many modes of their martyrdom. Racks, scourges, swords, daggers, crosses, poison, famine, and many other things were made use of. There are many stories from this era um, which have been passed down about the amazing and heroic faith of some of those early Christians and what, what it took for them to keep passing the faith forward to the next generation in the midst of such pressure and in the midst of all these powerful forces aligned against them. Uh, one story is about a young man named Timothy who had been married for three weeks when the perse- persecution began. Uh, he was a deacon in Maritania, and uh, it says, Timothy, being apprehended as a Christian, was carried before the governor of Thabius, who, knowing that he had a keeping of the Holy Scriptures, commanded him to deliver them up to be burned. But he answered, I, Had I children, I would sooner deliver them up to be sacrificed than to part with the word of God. The governor, being incensed at his reply, ordered that his eyes be put out with red-hot iron, saying, These books shall at least be useless to you, for you shall not read them again. And then he and his wife were eventually executed along with so many thousands of others during that era, um, all because they held so strongly to their faith in Jesus. Now, after 313, uh, there was an edict that proclaimed peace and freedom, toleration for Christians, And from that time forward, for essentially a thousand years, uh, there was peace, um, but over that thousand years, the Bible got more and more distant from the average people. And some of that's because politics and corruption and things kind of crept into the church. Um, and, And a thousand years later, we're in a place where the average person has no access to the Bible. The average person wouldn't be able to read the Bible. They had to rely on whatever sort of the official church was saying. And, uh, and so during this thousand-year period, there were monks who passed the Bible down generation to another by hand-copying it uh, one letter at a time in very meticulous fashion. And if you study through the history of that era, you find that uh, some of these faithful monks would be uh, writing the Scripture for six hours a day uh, throughout their whole lifetime. That was their only job, was just to keep writing, uh, to keep hand-copying the Bible so that people in the future would be able to have it. 
then at the, at the invention of the printing press in 1440, things started to change, and around that same time, uh, some courageous reformers started to stand up, uh, like John Wycliffe or William Tyndale, who, who believed that the Bible should be given to the average person in the common language. And so they went to great lengths, and some of them paid the ultimate price of martyrdom uh, because they were going against the political establishment of the day and trying to give the Bible out because they knew it would be a threat to the politics of the day. Uh, if, if everybody could read the truth for themselves, they wouldn't have to depend on the higher-ups anymore. And, uh, and so that generation paid a heavy price. Many of them were killed. Many of them were persecuted uh, to get the Bible into English and into German and into French and into the languages that then the common people of Europe could actually have access to the Bible uh, and then all of that leads up to the Bible that here you're holding in your hand today. Uh, a Bible that for most of us in the room probably costs us very little, financially speaking. The Bible on your phone is free. You probably have 70 options of Bibles to read on your phone. Um, and maybe if you were to go home and count the Bibles in your house, you would see them all over the place and go, well, in a sense, those reformers who wanted the Bible to be out there to the common people, like they, they succeeded uh, in an amazing fashion. Um, and yet today we face a different danger, don't we? That the Bible is so available to us that now we don't value it because it's, our, it's all over the place. Uh, and that's what I want to challenge you with this morning, is to raise your level of honor for what the Bible is, to raise the value that you place on the scripture that you're holding in your hand, knowing that it took a lot uh, for you to hold it in your hand. It took a lot of people and a lot of sacrifice uh, in order for this moment to happen when you, just like that village in Indonesia, when you get to have a copy of God's word to you in the heart language that you speak. Um, so a question that I want to send you away with today, very simply, um, do you value the Bible? Like in your heart, do you really value it? Uh, is it something that you, uh, you look at the Bible as just another book? just something to study maybe when it's convenient, or do you see it as really God's word into your life, God's word to you? So I'd like to give you four sort of simple keywords that uh, maybe you could pray about, maybe you could think about as you contemplate your own Bible study and how you think of what this actually is that we're studying. All right, so, so here are those words. I will give the Bible my respect, first of all, and I don't offer that idea in sort of a superstitious way, as if the book itself and the printing and the binding you know, needs to you know, be on the highest shelf at your house or whatever. If, if, if it helps you to respect the Bible physically like that, I, don't, I wouldn't discourage that. But I, would, but I would remind you that the point of the Bible is not to become an artifact in your life. And, and the physical representation of the Bible doesn't mean anything if you don't read it and if you don't hear what it says in your heart. Uh, and so, so we respect the Bible and we say this word is different than other words. This word is different than my word. And so as much as I might respect you or respect some great expert out there or respect my own idea about something, no, I'm going to respect the Bible a lot higher than any of that. Um, another key word is attention. Say that if the Bible means so much to us, if, if I believe the Bible, then of course I'll pay it the attention that it deserves. And, and everything in this world is trying to get our attention, right? Everybody's out there vying to get a little piece of your mind share. Um, but you say, no, I, I'm not going to let it happen that I go through a day or a week or a month or a year even, and I don't pay attention to the Bible. This is God's word to me. All right, another one is authority. And we say this in our church doctrine, right? That the Bible is our 
is our authority in all matters of faith and practice. That is that we would say any ideas that we have about how things should be, we submit those ideas underneath the Bible. The Bible is our, is our representation of this is what God wants us to do. Okay, that's great for the church, but is it true for you? Your lifestyle, the choices you're making, the way that you're conducting your life, the way you're spending your time or your money or the morals that, that you live with, are, are they submitted to the Bible's authority? And then finally, the affection that you would have for the Bible, representing, okay, this is, this is God's love letter to me, and so do I, do I love him back? Like, do I, I can't wait to hear what his word says to me. I want to know everything I can, because it, like the psalmist we were reading earlier, I love God's word. Um, I can say that, I can sing that, but is that really in my heart? That's the challenge today, all right? Here's what Psalm 119.16 says. It says, I will delight in your decrees, and not forget your word. That's the challenge right now, right here. Don't forget this word. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we are so amazed at the fact that we get to hold your word in our hands. And anytime we choose, we can open it up and we can hear from your Holy Spirit right into our lives about what we should do or what's important to you or reasons we should praise you, things that we need to change about our lives. It's all right there in front of us any day of the week, any time we want to pick it up. And, and previous generations have gone through tremendous sacrifice to get us to a point where we get to have this in our hands. And so, Lord, today we choose to value your word above all other words. And we choose to give it the attention and affection that it deserves. Help us, Lord, as we aim to honor you in studying the Bible, not just so that we can learn something, but so that we can really apply it. We look forward to doing that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you.